0: Good evening, good evening, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Atlas Information Live. You are most welcome to be here, and tonight we are going to be continuing our series on core practices by moving into the topic of alchemy. And the specific practice known as transmutation and its relation to alchemy and some of the metaphysical science involved in this practice, because it's a core practice. It is, in many ways, the core practice. In many ways, we can think of transmutation as the point the reason, the goal, or the prime methodology, the way, the path. All of these words describe and encapsulate the purpose of transmutation, the goal of alchemy. Now, If you do a Google search for transmutation, specifically an image search, you will discover all sorts of beliefs around this word. Transmutation and alchemy, these words have been appropriated and applied to a whole series of so-called esoteric practices there is of course the alchemy of the medieval alchemists whose works attempted to transform base metals into gold into actual physical gold that was their goal that was their their purpose as alchemists to enhance their wealth, or the wealth of their patrons, the wealth of their benefactors, the wealth of their sponsors, if you will, those men of power and privilege who charge them with this task. But this is a gross misunderstanding of what alchemy is. Alchemy derives from two words al, meaning God, it's L in Hebrew, L or al, as in Allah, and kem, which means to fuse or cast a metal. The relationship between these two words is precisely found in the word transmutation. Trans meaning to change and mutare meaning thoroughly, to thoroughly change. Or do we get that reverse? It's trans meaning thoroughly and mutare meaning change. Either way, it's one or the other. It's either one way or the other reversed. We're having a long day and our mind is beginning to fail us, our memory is beginning to fail us. So, We're going to take a departure from our previous two lectures. As you see, we don't have any prepared slides. And we don't have a whole series of quotations and a whole series of images and whatnot to show you. We could have. But the reality is that with all that we're trying to do at the moment, we're lucky if we can continue doing three live streams a week. We're just we're feeling burnt out and there's just not enough time and day to do all the social media that we need to do and write the book and prepare for these live streams with a great deal of advanced preparation it's just not possible it's 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 just too it's too time consuming but more importantly it's too taxing it's too draining on on our energy uh in fact it's we may not be able to sustain three live streams a week we may have to go down to one Uh, we just have to see how it goes or at best we might be able to get away with two uh one being a a monday recap so we do one live stream during the week here and then another on, on afternoon or we'll just move to sunday afternoons um that might be the uh that might be the way we need to go i mean in reality we don't know anybody else doing live streams on these topics three times a week. Um, Most people who do live streams of this length, usually have somebody else on the live stream with them like podcasts and whatnot. And they're just talking about or debating politics or current events or movies or what have you. So in other words, they're filling two and a half, three hours worth of just ego talk mostly very different to do a two, three-hour um, live stream when we're talking about topics of this magnitude and importance. So we're finding ourselves, we're, we're finding that our ability to write the book is being jeopardized. Uh, it's being—it's falling to the wayside because all these other concerns are immediate and have to be taken care of. So as a result, um, it's for us, it's probably going to come down to a, uh, a question of quality, not quantity. And we also find ourselves burning through the material far too quickly. Because three live streams a week, even if one's a recap two, two topics a week. Um, it's not that we're run out of things to talk about. But it's just that uh, we're not doing I we're, we don't feel like we're doing entirely justice to the material if we are trying to cram so much into such a tight uh, space of time. So, that may be a change that's forthcoming. We'll see how it goes. The other thing to consider as well is that, I mean, right now, what we can see is there's one person watching. And perhaps it was the nature of the topic tonight. People don't think it's important. um, Or who knows? Um, It may be that uh these live streams i mean at most we have 10 or 11 people watching at any given time so at most that's but people check in and check out so i mean and some people may be watching the replays we don't know we haven't been uh, monitoring that so much so there may be a transmutation in the works in atlas information and our approach to these live streams we may have to cut back uh, at least until, uh, we have this book, um, uh, finished. And, uh, and the other thing too, is it may be more advantageous for us to work on more short form videos and put those out on YouTube and use a more, you know, a 15, 20 minute, uh, form factor for our videos and have them more uh, slightly more scripted, slightly more structured, with more of a presentation where we can tackle topics in a more interesting and, uh, and concise, condensed way. And then hopefully that more people can see those and gain access to that that way. Because asking someone to attend a three-hour lecture is a big ask nowadays. So For all those reasons, we might be looking at a transmutation um, of our uh, moving forward. So returning to the actual topic of transmutation and alchemy. Transmutation is a radical and total transformation, a radical and total change. It means to become a mutant. Now, nowadays, the term mutant has been, uh, how should we say, dragged through the mud. When people think about mutants, they think about some sort of radiation infection or disease that's caused some malformation, some hideous monstrosity, or, or, or disease, or, or what have you. But to be a true mutant is captured, ironically, of all places, in the comic books, in the modern mythological expressions. Particularly, we can turn to the X-Men. Where in X-Men, you have... Well, it's all about mutants, isn't it? And about this emerging race of... Not exactly human beings, based on human beings, but mutated human beings. And they have these powers, they awaken these various powers. And that's... In... In the universe of the X-Men, that's what makes you a mutant. Is if you have awakened these powers, you're different. But you're also dangerous to the regular humans, and so you are hated and hunted. And if you're familiar with the films, the X-Men films, you know that there's two class of these mutants. There's, you might say, a benevolent class of mutants or a light side and then there's a dark side there's the the mutants led by magneto who are in it for themselves and believe that it's their they're entitled to rule the earth and they're entitled to rule over humans because humans are a threat to their existence humans fear them and so they must be subjugated they must be put in their place because the best defense is a good offense. That's the the justification or the rationalization of uh, Magneto and his band of mutants. On the other side, on the light side, if you will, you have Charles Xavier and his mutants that are that don't that believe in living in harmony with regular humans, finding a peaceful coexistence. That's Dr. Charles Xavier's philosophy, and he believes that that's possible through education and by showing the regular humans that there's nothing to be afraid of, that they that they are not um, that mutants don't have this ambition to rule the world and to make regular humans extinct or make them slaves or what have you. And it's interesting because in the X-Men, it's interesting that they're called X-Men. Because what makes a true mutant is an individual who has undergone a transmutation. And a transmutation is a process of alchemy, to fuse or cast a metal but with the power of God, alchem. A few weeks ago we did a live stream on the elements, the five elements, air, water, fire, and earth, and the fifth element, the akash element which contains or enables the other four elements to exist. The fifth element is that element which comes into vibration as any of the other four elements. And we described how these elements are not physical elements. These elements are metaphysical, they're psychological, emotional, mental, causal, buddhic, atmic. They're qualities of energy. So you have a solidity and a grounding in earth, you have a uh, movement and motion in air, and then you have an interaction between air and fire. If you blow on fire, the flames increase. And then of course you have fire itself, the fireiness, the heat, the, the uh, um, intensity of fire. And then of course you have water, the fluidity of water and the relationship between water and fire. And it may not be as you think that water puts out fire. It's actually alchemically and Uh, metaphysically, the fire is in the water. We We have to work with the fiery waters. And so in alchemy, we also look at those same five elements, but we look at another set of elements. And alchemically, these elements are known as salt, sulfur, mercury, and azoth. And these elements, alchemical elements, are related to the other four elements, but All the elements are contained in each of the alchemical elements. So, although we can say salt, more or less, equates to the Earth. That's where we get the expression, the salt of the Earth. Salt contains all of the other elements. It's not just Earth. The same when we think about sulfur. Sulfur equates with fire. But it also has the qualities of each of the other elements contained in it. Likewise, mercury, and then finally azot. And azot is has all of the other alchemical elements contained within it. Azot is the quintessence. It has it is the combination, the union of salt, sulfur, and mercury. And these elements are what an alchemist works with. The 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 salt the sulfur the mercury and the azote these are the elements that a true alchemist works with to create a radical change, a total change. And that total change, that transmutation, which takes place, is ourselves. We become mutants. And in the process, we may, we may awaken powers. And that's what is represented in the contemporary mythology of X-Men. But that's not the point of transmutation. That's not the point of alchemy. The goal—it's not—not the—the goal isn't to become some sort of superhero or supervillain with the ability to do you know whatever, levitate things or have uh, yeah so telekinesis or telepathy or you know, these sorts of powers, you may develop those powers, but that's not the point. Those powers are a side effect. The real point of alchemy or transmutation is to prepare and purify the self, the bodies The mind, the heart, the soul, to create the soul, the vessel, the vehicle that can receive and embody the Christ. The Christ, the symbol of the Christ, of course, is a cross. The cross is also an X, X X-men. it may be difficult for some traditional traditionalist gnostics to accept but x-men is a contemporary modern mythology that allegorizes the process of transmutation alchemy and christification they are the x-men the mutants and accordingly their struggle is one of being misunderstood and hated, and their struggle against one another is how they react, how they respond to that hatred of humanity. Because the reality is that any true mutant, anyone that is genuinely working in alchemy and genuinely transmuting themselves and creating a mutant that is able to embody and incarnate the Christ. In Buddhism this is called the Bodhisattva and anyone walking the Bodhisattva path is hated, universally hated. They're hated by people on the left-hand path. Those are the people who work with energies, but uh, modified by ego. They work with the energies, but they entirely are in service to the Black Lodge, entirely in service of their desires and their egos. That's the left-hand path. Those are the people who absolutely despise anyone on the right-hand path, but they especially despise the bodhisattvas, because the bodhisattvas only speak the truth. And anyone on the left-hand path, they they hide behind a cover of lies and disinformation and misinformation. That's their modus operandi, like all egos do. They operate under the guise of an illusion and false claims and false promises and false projections, projections of a false self, because that's what they're empowering. That's what their that's what their 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 entire path is dedicated towards building up and empowering the false self. And using energy and using magic to to prop up that false self with all of its desires. Now on the right hand path, you have the opposite, you have those Uh, individuals who are uh, following their religious beliefs or religious doctrines, their traditions, and they are they are following a sort of angelic path and they hate the left-hand path and they despise the devil and and all this you know and they're 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 very uh, righteous. These are the sort of paladin types Sort of, uh, um, and uh, the self-righteous religious types. And they also hate the bodhisattvas because the bodhisattvas speak the truth and the bodhisattvas reveal all of the shortcomings and false beliefs and misinterpretations and literal interpretations and kindergarten-level understanding of many on the right-hand path of spirituality and the scriptures that they read and they, they profess to believe in and so on and so forth. And so a bodhisattva reveals the true meaning of those scriptures. And then that causes those individuals to lose their mind and become very agitated and become very aggressive and very defensive. A bodhisattva walks the middle path, the middle path between the two pillars on the tree of life the right hand path and the left hand path. There's the middle path. And generally speaking, the masses, who are just trying to, you know, live a good life and, you know, pay their mortgage and have their 2.5 cars and their 2.5 kids and go on holidays and have a nice big screen TV and a nice and redo the kitchen every few years. They generally speaking hate the Bodhisattvas as well. Because Bodhisattvas are they renounce any and all semblance of uh, material comfort. All of their desires, all of their worldly expectations or wants, they renounce them all. They sacrifice themselves completely and totally for humanity and for the service of humanity. And that example scares the average person because it the average person doesn't want to renounce those things. They want, they, they need their comfort and security. They find solace and and well, that's what comfort and security is, and that's what comfort and security does. It's like a it's, when that gets shaken, those people lose their mind. They're completely overcome by fear. So a bodhisattva is a mutant. A bodhisattva is hated universally by all. And they have a very tough go of it because part of their transmutation process is to die. And not just allegorically, not just philosophically or metaphysically or psychologically. They have to die in all of those ways as well. Because the process of transmutation means the former organism no longer exists. A mutant is not a human. That's the whole point of X-Men. That's what the, the point that is made over and over and over and over again in that comic book. By all sides, mutants and humans alike, is that mutants are no longer human. They are mutants. And that's true. Except, for the fact that it's kind of the reverse. A true human being, nowadays, a true human being is already a mutant compared to everybody else. Because this humanity is not made up of true human beings. This humanity is made up of intellectual animals who believe that they're human, who call themselves human, but they're not human. A true human being is awake. A true human being is a Buddha. Not a Bodhisattva, but a Buddha. Awake. But even, even to a true human being, a Bodhisattva is problematic from their point of view, because many uh, Buddhas, many pratyeka Buddhas and Nirvanis, they have comfortable and secure existence in nirvana and they come and reincarnate they're on the spiral path and they come and reincarnate every few years and they come and many of them are you know are religious leaders and Pharisees and scribes and so on and so forth and they don't want their place or position challenged neither here nor in nirvana and that's what the Bodhisattva represents it's a threat the Bodhisattva is a threat a mutant is a threat and that is what gets emphasized in the x-men films and in the comic book series that these mutants have to fight and on the 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 side of uh, charles xavier's um, uh, school of mutants and and the the that those x-men they fight for humanity they fight for everyone charles xavier and his team even fight for magneto and all mutants they fight for everyone That's what a true bodhisattva is, sacrifices himself for everyone. Even those who despise them, maybe especially for those who despise them. That's why Jesus says, you know, turn the other cheek. If someone hits you across the face, turn the other cheek. Because we are not here to wage war or win battles against others we are here to win to wage the battle and win the war against suffering and anyone who is so angry or so vengeful or envious or greedy or or fearful that they turn to physical violence that person is in terrible suffering So we should help them, as best we can. That's the path of the bodhisattva. That's the way the bodhisattva looks at the situation, and that's what the X-Men do, generally speaking. Now, we can argue all sorts of details about the types of characters, and their powers, and what they do, and and so on and so forth, but the the overarching symbol and the allegory befits the topic, and what transmutation, what alchemy, is really all about. Perhaps you you tuned in tonight expecting to hear about the transmutation of the sexual force. Or perhaps you were expecting to hear about sexual alchemy. And yes, transmutation relates to that. Of course, when we talked about we did the uh, our live stream on prana last week, we were talking about transmuting sexual energy and doing pranayama to do that transmutation and working with sound to do transmutation, mantra, prayer, breathing exercises. All of that and runes, all of those exercises transmute the sexual energy but what really is going on there, and why are we doing that? What's the point? The point is those elements salt, sulfur mercury and azoth working with those elements we transmute ourselves, because those elements are just a part of us, and those elements are in every atom of our being, every fiber of our being, and on every level of our being. When we talk about salt, we're not talking about physical salt. We're not talking about the salt you put on your french fries, or the salt you put on the roads when it's icy. again, we're referring to metaphysical elements, elements that have qualities to them, that relate to this practice of alchemy. And we really cannot do this topic justice. If you really want to know uh, all about alchemy, and all about these elements, and what they represent, what they symbolize, and how they interrelate with one another, and how this all extends back into antiquity, and to all of the uh, foundational uh, religions and spiritual traditions, going right back to the the, uh, the Hebraic tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, Uh, The the Greek tradition, uh, we encourage you to look at the alchemy course that's offered on glorian.org. It's a free course, and it covers, I think it's somewhere between five and seven lectures that are all in the ballpark of about two, two and a half hours. Well, no, two hours, two hours, give or take. And the Gnostic Instructor goes into great depth. And you are welcome to go and and study that course for yourself. But for our purposes here tonight, the key is to understand that alchemy is not what many people think it is or say it is. Again, if you do a Google image search, you will end up with all these different symbols and glyphs related to alchemy. And speaking of modern mythologies and, uh, and stories and whatnot, there's even an anime called Full Metal Alchemist. And what you will find is this whole... There are several different branches of this that you will discover. One is alchemy related to the transmutation of base metals into higher metals, specifically gold. There's that actual physical alchemy tradition. But you will also find this other tradition of drawing alchemical circles and using base alchemical symbols to put together these circles of power, these alchemical circles of power, which are from an, from that alchemist's perspective, they're essentially spells. And that form of alchemy purports to be a form of magic where something must be given, there must be a, the, an exchange of energy something must be given up in order for something to be created and it doesn't take too much imagination to realize what a lot of the alchemists are giving up in order to create or manifest what they what, what they want from their alchemical symbol their alchemical circle and it's a sort of black magic which is um, very pronounced. And it's these symbols related to that. And this, this, this uh, practice related to that. And then you'll come across statements where there is a key to be unlocking the power of alchemy where nothing needs to be sacrificed. Well, this is, this is just ludicrous something is not sacrificed, then it must, the energy must be coming from somewhere. Which means it's being stolen or it's being appropriated from somewhere else for the purpose of the spell, which is, which is even worse than using one's own sexual energy in order to manifest one's desires. Now one's going to be stealing energy and putting it towards the spell. Some You're going to be sacrificing somebody else in order to gain what you want, and that's even worse. Because energy is neither created nor destroyed, and the continuity and the preservation, the um, the the preservation of energy is a uniform, universal law. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It is transformed. From one thing into another. It is transmuted. But that science, that practice, is not intended for the purposes that most people understand, and most people believe, or follow, or are attracted to alchemy. Because they're attracted by the prospect of gaining wealth, gaining power, gaining influence, power corrupts, and the power of alchemy, this notion of being able to transmute one's creative force, one's sexual energy, into whatever they want, this is essentially what all of that stuff in the new age is about, manifesting desires, you know, the secret, manifesting a lover, manifesting, you know, manifesting all whatever you want. Right? That's all hundred percent black magic. And anything related to alchemy, where the end goal is the, the transmutation that is taking place is transmuting creative energy. any of the four elements that we talked about. Salt, sulfur, mercury, and azot. And then the other five elements, right, fire, earth, air, water, and ether. And using alchemical spells, alchemical circles, alchemical rituals, to transform those elements into something tangible that you can then use, or sell, or whatever. Right? This is not what alchemy is. This is black magic. Because the transmutation The goal of transmutation is to to create a mutant. As we said, to transform the lead of the ego, of the animal human being, into the gold of a human soul. The golden bodies, the solar bodies. Those are the vehicles that we need in the supernal worlds. That can serve as a vehicle and a vessel for the Christ. And that's where the X comes into X Men, as you mentioned. So, <clears throat> we've talked about some different practices that relate to this. And the first practice that we talked about that relates directly to transmutation is we talked about the transformation of impressions. And we talked about the ability to observe ourselves and be present and be mindful moment by moment by moment. And to transform impressions In the moment so that we are digesting them with our consciousness and not with our egos so it's not our egos that are processing and digesting our experiences are the impressions that are coming in through our five senses and also the impressions that we receive in our mind and in our heart and the sensations in our body but our consciousness that is digesting them. And this is a process, this process of transformation of impressions is a form of transmutation on the level of on the mental level, on the emotional level, on the energetic level, so vibes, energy. When we we feel other people's energy, or we see energy, we have that ability to add that level of clairvoyance. We can we can see energy, but also on the physical body. So on the physical level, and on the level of willpower, on the level of consciousness, we are transmuting those elements. On those levels. So, when we experience, for example, uh, fire, we experience lust. We are, we encounter lustful images, or we encounter uh, a beautiful individual, someone we find very attractive, and immediately we start feeling lust stimulated inside of us and the fire is ignited and begins to burn and now lustful thoughts emerge and lustful uh, lustful emotion in our emotional center and and lust driven physiological changes the ability to look upon that person and, in the moment, catch ourselves and recognize what is going on that lust is attempting to transform those impressions for us and digest them and turn, turn that impression into fuel and food for our lust the ability to transform that impression and look upon that individual and remember our Divine Mother remember our innermost being remember that that individual is our brother or our sister They're not an object of lust, they're not an object of desire, they're another human being. They deserve our love, they deserve our compassion, they deserve our care, they deserve our respect, They they deserve dignity, and that if we fantasize about them, sexually, without their knowledge or consent, we are violating them in the mental plane in the astral plane if we see a beautiful individual and go home later and fantasize about them and fantasize scenarios with them we are violating them in our mind in our heart we are violating that individual that isn't that is it's a, it's unconsensual sex To know that, to recognize that, to feel that in the moment, and recognize that, and catch ourselves, and transform all of that into loving respect, and dignity, and camaraderie, and filial love, platonic love, brotherly, sisterly love. What have we done there? We've taken that sulfur, we've taken that fire. And specifically, the the fires of azot, which is a union of, because our physical body, it's the salt, and the sulfur, the fire, and the mercury, that movement, that, that... Well, we'll get to mercury. And azot, which is the union of all those, the sexual force, the kundalini, which lust was trying to invert... We're able to transmute all of that into upright thought, upright emotion, upright action, upright being. In other words, in that moment, we transmuted an animal lower reaction into the response of a being an angelic being a divine being but in this day and age such a being is a mutant if any normie would be listening in on this conversation they would say oh what that's just you what, what a prude what are this what are that well must be we must be completely totally sexually repressed there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with fantasizing about someone. There's nothing wrong with finding somebody attractive. There's nothing wrong with with lusting after somebody or desiring to, to have sex with somebody. There's nothing wrong with having many partners. There's nothing right It's perfectly natural. sex is perfectly you know this is how this is how we this is this is the world we live in. The world we live in is uh, where pornography is considered normal. Pornography is considered healthy. masturbation. Is considered healthy. It's promoted. It's taught to children. Children are taught how to masturbate. Children are taught about all manner of natural and healthy sexuality. So for somebody to come along and say, well, you know, all of that is just creating more lust, and lust is the mother of all desires. That's the harlot of Babylon. That's desire, the, the, the source of all suffering. The more lust you have, and the more lust you create, and the more sex you desire, the more you will desire. There is no satisfying it. There is never satisfying it. And that's why the world is never satisfied. It's never satisfied with anything. There is no peace. There is no genuine comfort. There is no genuine security. Everybody is always chasing and running after comfort and security because they always want more, 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 more. So Someone who comes along and says, you know what? I'm happy with what I have. Even if what I have is nothing. That individual is a mutant in the eyes of everyone else. That person is deranged. That person is... They'll come up with all sorts of names and labels and and rationalizations and justifications to judge and condemn someone who transmutes themselves or is working on transmuting themselves and making of themselves a mutant. And this is why, as we mentioned, why the bodhisattvas are so hated. So how does... So so transformation of impressions then, moment by moment by moment, that's why that practice, we began with that. Because it is the foundational first step You can do all the other practices, but if you're not transforming impressions, if you're not transmuting your experience, your existence, your very being, moment by moment by moment by moment, if you're not practicing this transmutation, the transformation of expressions, then you, you, you cannot advance on the spiritual path by doing any of the other exercises, any, of the, any other practices. Because what you will end up doing is creating a hasna musan of yourself, someone with a split center of gravity. You can practice all the meditation and all the mantra and all the runes and all the everything else you want, If you're not transforming impressions and you're not transmuting yourself moment to moment into a vehicle, a vessel for the light, then what you will have is a polluted vessel. And here you're going to be trying to increase your consciousness and your light and access to the energy and everything else But here you're going to have this dark, shadowy, polluted vessel. That's why in the Bible, uh, Jesus says, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Because if you put new wine into old wineskins, it becomes rancid, it becomes vinegar. Transmutation the complete and total change, the metamorphosis of the human machine into a Buddha and then a Bodhisattva involves working with these elements, salt, sulfur, azot and mercury. Now, salt and sulfur are pretty straightforward. Salt being the earth, we have our physical body. We have our physicality that we need to work with. And when we're doing the transformation of impressions, we're observing our physical body and our physical sensations and our physical reactions to impressions. Sulfur is the fire. And we did uh, the live stream on pranayama and sound and how prana is the wind and associated with the breath. But what happens when you blow on fire? You increase the fire. And what happens if if you suck out all the air from a fire? The fire goes out. So the connection between prana and fire and, and so so sulfur and prana are intimately connected. And those two, the salt and the sulfur, are intimately connected with Azot, the kundalini, which is the latent Christ. That is the fire and water in the stone. So there's the, uh, the, the Bible passage where you crack the stone and the, the water comes from the stone, and there's all sorts of imagery in the Old Testament, especially in the, um, uh, the story of Abraham, where they're talking about digging wells. Now a well is made of stone, it's walled off with stone, and a well is what you do to dig into the earth to get the water, to draw the water. From the earth. So on that, the water relates to mercury, and w- we'll get to mercury in a minute. So in our physical body, in every atom of our being, but especially in our sexual organs, we have the energy, we have azat, the kundalini, which is the sexual fire, the creative force. And that that relates that sexual fire is the is contained in the waters of sex, but also in the philosophical stone in our salt. And it's related to the sulfur, the fire. So as we said, Each one of these elements contains the other because they are a triunity. Sulfur, salt, and mercury are triunity. They're a trinity, a triunity, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each contains the other. They're not three separate things that are added together. There are three things that are the same, which are one, and they are one by virtue of the fact that they are a trinity, a triunity. And azot, the kundalini, is... The amalgam of all three, the salt, the sulfur, and the mercury, and we have to work with all three. So, and the result is azoth, because it has the combined characteristics of salt, sulfur, and mercury. azot, the kundalini, has all of the power, all of the characteristics associated with each, each one of those elements. And since we are made up of those three elements, it is the kundalini which is able to create through each one of those elements. Azot, the fourth or the the combination, the triunity of those elements, the salt, the mercury, and the sulfur can create a mutant human being, a mutated human being. And that process, that mutation, takes place because of the destructive and creative power of azot, of the sexual force. The sexual force, by the way, Kundalini, the other, of course, we've said many, many, many times that the Kundalini is also our Divine Mother. So let us momentarily consider that this latent force, this energy, exists in every atom of our being in every cell and every atom of your body of your salt there exists the azot the waters and the fires the mercury and the sulfur in the salt which combined are the kundalini the 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 divine mother the power of the divine mother what happens If you split an atom, if you consider what happens when you split an atom, you have some appreciation for the power, the latent energy, the latent force that is contained inside of you. How many cells do you have in your body? And how many atoms, how many molecules make up those cells? And how many atoms make up those molecules? Now consider what happens when they split one atom. You begin to have in your imagination some concept of the power that a Christified Master of Bodhisattva has at their disposal. Because what the Kundalini is able to do is basically unzip our DNA and reorganize it as a mutant and unlock that power that's latent and dormant inside of our salt. The mercury and the sulfur, the, the, the azot. It's the it's the combination of those three elements in azot. So when people talk about raising the kundalini and that they have their kundalini awake. And that they've raised the kundalini. Uh, It's, we don't know what these people are talking about. But if they have, that's the power of Azoth. That's the power of a master. Of a Christified master. Who has their kundalini completely awake and completely risen seven times seven times through 33 vertebrae of the spinal column they have the power of a god that's the power that jesus used to raise the dead and walk on water and put himself at the jinn state and at at, at, you know at uh, at will and in the bible that's you know through that power uh uh you know mountains are leveled and so, so people walk around talking about how they've raised the kundalini and they've awoken the kundalini, they're delusional. They're kidding themselves. They're possessed by mystic pride. Because someone who has awoken their kundalini, someone who has raised their kundalini on their spinal column, they have the power of a zop. They have the power of a god. They have the power of Christ. They are a mutant. This is not just... We're not just talking about um, you know, nice stories and allegories all the time. There's a practical metaphysical science to this. But the most important element that comes into play when we talk about alchemy, when we talk about transmutation, we have to consider the element of mercury. Now, mercury, as you know, is also, is also called quicksilver. And mercury is a very unique element. We're talking about the actual metal now, Mercury. It's a liquid metal. It it does not solidify. It remains a liquid. And if you've ever observed Mercury, it has this property of being very fast and it's it seems it appears to be in constant motion because little little drops of mercury will will always be rolling around and but they're liquid mercury in terms of the planet is the one that's closest to the sun and it has the shortest and fastest orbit Esoterically, Mercury was Mercury to the Romans, but to the Greeks, he was called Hermes. And both Hermes and Mercury, they wore uh, wings. They had wings on their feet and on their helmets. And they both carried the, what's called today the Caduceus of Mercury, but it was the staff of Hermes, the, the staff with the two intertwining serpents going up. And Hermes, to the Greeks, was the father and inventor of many, many phenomena, including uh, fire. He was, Hermes was the one who gave fire to humanity. So, in other words, puts him in the same ballpark as uh, Prometheus. Um, he also invented the uh, the pan the pan pipes, the seven with the seven um, basically different different uh, shaped pipes uh, and Hermes Hermes Mercury is the messenger of the gods. He's the one who delivers the information, practically speaking in us, he delivers uh, information, insight, imagination, intuition, from our innermost being to us. That's Mercury working actively inside of us. And remember, like when we talked about the elements, when we consider elements metaphysically, we have to think about the properties of the elements and how those those properties affect us and function inside of us metaphysically. So Mercury is like Quicksilver, like the actual Mercury, is in constant motion. It's always moving around. And because of that, the raw mercury, the unrefined mercury in us is quite uh, chaotic. And we need to be able to work with that mercury. And get it so where we can start refining it and purifying it. And that is a process of transmutation. That is a process of alchemy and transmutation where we are refining our mercury. And as the mercury inside us becomes more refined, then clearly we can have greater access to communication with our innermost being so we just did a live stream on prayer and it should be noted that i think we mentioned this that many people pray for things related to their job or their financial situation or their health or you know their physical well-being so you know er- earthly worldly things and they wonder why their prayers aren't answered. And the reason is that our innermost being doesn't care about any of those things. It doesn't matter. Your job, your, your reputation, your car, your sports team, and how they're doing in the, in the World Cup. It, 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 like, these things don't matter. So of course you're not going to have your prayers answered. Your innermost being cares about factors related to your transmutation, to your becoming and unbecoming what you are and becoming what you have the potential to be, which is your true self. So, working with our Mercury, we have to remember Hermes, the the original Greek god that Mercury, the Romans based Mercury on, that energy, that activity, that those waters, because Mercury relates to the waters, that fluidity, that constant moving and motion inside of us. Have you heard the term hermetically sealed? The term hermetically sealed comes from Hermes, and it comes from alchemy. Very often you'll see images of Hermes where uh, either he himself or a a cherub or an angel someone, there will be in the image of Hermes a vessel which is hermetically sealed. And hermetically sealed means nothing can get in or get out. That which is inside the vessel Can't escape. That's what hermetically sealed means. And when we consider ourselves and we consider our own mercury, our waters, our energies, are we as vessels, are we hermetically sealed? Or are we leaking energy? all over the place, in our hearts, in our mind, in our body, in our sexual center, in our sexual activity? Are we allowing our precious mercury, and our sulfur, our fire, and our azot? Are we allowing these precious elements that are there to help us in our transmutation, to help us in our alchemy? Are we allowing these elements to leak out from our vessel? There are many, many, many ways in which this occurs. For example, if we indulge in Uh, watching uh, uh, you know binging on just about anything but we can binge for example on emotional movies or emotional TV series and now we are allowing our precious elements to leak through our emotional center by constantly stimulating our emotional center but the same thing can happen if we are binging on uh, documentaries or binging on youtube or or anything that stimulate or video games or uh, or or even strategy games or anything like that where we are constantly stimulating our mental center or we are just or we are just sitting around thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and, thinking. and we're racking our brains all the time or we're doing sudokus or we're doing you know whatever and all that energy is being expelled, it's being lost through the mental center. And then there's of course the physical center. And that doesn't necessarily just mean mean having sex or masturbating, which is the obvious and the most wasteful, most obvious way of losing energy. But then there's also excessive exercise. Excessive anything. Excessive cleaning. Right? If someone, if someone's an A-type personality and they, you know, they clean their house every day or every few days or or you know what have you. But excessive exercise, excessive anything. But it's also excessive eating, excessive sleeping. Excessive sleeping is a waste of energy laziness. There's countless, countless different ways that we can be leaking energy. And then there's other ways that the ego very cleverly gets us to waste our mercury specifically. Now the mercury is the messenger of the gods. As we said, Mercury is our ability to speak to God and, and listen to God and hear God. So, for example, uh, doubt is an aspect of the consciousness. And when we are doubting something, it's because we don't have the direct experience ourselves, and we are being told, essentially, not to take uh, statements at face value. So, so not to believe. Doubt is the opposite of belief. And as uh, uh, Gnostics or or initiates on the path, we are encouraged not to believe, but to do our own research and do our own uh, uh, experiments and exploration and seek self-evident experiential knowledge, gnosis, for ourselves. And and lacking that, we will have doubt. and We will be presented with doubt. Now, the clever ego is able to twist doubt and turn it into cognitive dissonance, turn it into skepticism, turn it into atheism, turn it into all manner of of dogmatism of it's able to take doubt and weave elaborate beliefs around doubt that we then hold dogmatically and we will not let go of because we believe that we have the truth on our side but what we have is doubt and the ego has woven an elaborate narrative around that doubt and presented to us as the, as the truth and because there's a kernel of truth at its heart namely our doubt We accept what the ego presents to us as truth. Because its its foundation is true. We, We have doubt. We don't know. And that doubt came to us from our innermost. That doubt is like a droplet of mercury, if you will. It's the truth. We have doubt. We can't deny it. So the ego will... Wrap this whole elaborate story around it, and we end up swallowing and buying that story. And not only that, we will fight others, we will defend that belief, we will defend that story tooth and nail to our dying day because we know it's true. Of course, we've been had. We've been conned by our ego. The only thing true about that story is the doubt at its center. But this is one way in which our egos conspire to get us to waste our mercury and to squander any intuitions that we have. Because we receive many intuitions, but because we don't transform the impression, and we don't receive the intuition objectively. Many of our intuitions are intercepted by the ego. And the ego digests that I- the intuition for us. Which means the ego interprets the intuition. And the ego wraps the intuition, again, in a story, in a narrative, that serves its purposes. And then what we process in the mind is 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 a product of ego mind it's not the intuition at all the intuition has been twisted corrupted bastardized and we put a lot of energy into that belief now that 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 misinterpretation that we believe is intuition because we can feel that it came from it came from intuition But this is one. This is another way that our mercury gets leaked and lost, and this is a big one, because you see many, many, many people, who and the big uh, the 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 number one example that we like to give, and we made a YouTube video about it, was uh, is the flat Earth people. Flat Earthers are not only are they completely and wholly uh, uh, convinced in their beliefs but they are very dogmatic and evangelical about it. They're very self-righteous and they're very um, aggressive in how they go about uh, wanting to convince everyone else. That they are that that they their worldview is is correct, and that uh, and that the earth that the earth is flat. So, and all of that, that fervent belief, that evangelical, all that energy, all that time, all that effort, that's being wasted. It's all because of their Mercury, their connection with their innermost being, their connection with objective truth, is being intercepted and twisted and corrupted by ego. All of that fervent belief, all of that that, uh, dogmatic, evangelical, self-righteous, aggressive judgmental because they are very judgmental of anyone that doesn't believe them it's all mercury flowing negatively and flowing out of them so they're not hermetically sealed they are their egos are fornicating with them they are fornicating through the mental and emotional centers And what they're fornicating, what they're putting out in the world, and what they want everybody else to swallow is called flatter theory. And they demand that people swallow it. They expect people to swallow it. Now, if any of this sounds vaguely sexual, you're right. It should, because it is. Because lust is the mother of all egos. And when we talk about hermetically sealed, we're talking about not losing the energy by essentially being screwed with. But this this feeling, this desire that people have to have others accept their beliefs, this is the same exact desire that exists in men who expect their sexual partners to swallow to perform fellatio and swallow it's the same thing the desire for somebody to take what they are given and take it wherever the uh the fornicator wants them to take it this is this is lust this is you know but this is across the board. This can be mental, this can be emotional, as well as, clearly, physical and sexual. But the egos are involved all along the process. And their whole purpose for being is to get us to expend and expunge these precious elements creative force. Why? Because when we do so, we create more egos. This is how egos replicate. This is how egos essentially have sex and procreate with us, using our precious sexual energy. That energy which is given to us in order to transmute ourselves for the purposes of transmutation, for the alchemical process. So if you're not transmuting yourself with that energy, and you're not hermetically sealed, then that energy is flowing down and out. And it's flowing down and out because it's flowing through Egos, which are harnessing that energy and replicating themselves. So, in a way, our egos are having sex with our Mercury. And egos are demons, and our mercury, that quicksilver, that con- our connection to God, our connection to our innermost being, is being used by demons, our defects and vices, our egos. Now, there is. Uh, well, we should have pulled this up, but. There are images, alchemical images, of Hermes in a loving embrace or uh, in a, uh, uh, a coupling situation with Venus. Now Venus is our Divine Mother, is our Kundalini. But Venus is also Aphrodite. Venus Aphrodite, the goddess of love, And what's interesting is, in these images of Hermes and Aphrodite, we always have, above, a cherub of one body with two heads, a man and a woman. In other words, we have a hermaphrodite. Hermes and Aphrodite. That's where we get the word hermaphrodite. This is how important Hermes Mercury is. The fact that we get words like hermetically sealed and hermaphrodite from these the Eleusian traditions of ancient Greece, the the mystery schools, the Eleusian mystery schools, which were never revealed in public, were never taught in public. The Eleusinian Uh, mystery, Mystery schools. So, when our connection to our innermost being, our Mercury, unites with Aphrodite, the goddess of love, our Kundalini, and they are working together in upright sexuality, then they give rise, they give birth to the hermaphrodite. And what is the hermaphrodite? The hermaphrodite is the Christ. Because Christ is both masculine and feminine. And union of masculine and feminine. that process is the one which dismantles that which we are and forms and produces the solar man the solar human being because we are lunar right now we are mechanical we are ruled by our egos and we are ruled by our passions and our instincts and we are governed by mechanical nature so tonight tonight is a full moon for example so if anybody's feeling a little rough today now some people have been saying that it's a full moon in leo and that uh, there's all sorts of positive benefits that come with that but to anyone who knows themselves and knows their demons they know that during a full moon their demons are are uh, particularly active, and uh, and uh, it can be difficult. It can be challenging for for the best of us. So. So this process of working with our connection to our innermost being, and then with our Divine Mother. So that is the most uh, powerful time to work with our Mercury is during sexual intercourse white tantra to be hermetically sealed but working with our divine mother, the goddess of love, Venus, Aphrodite, the Kundalini in upright sexuality and that is and working with our salt, the stone, the cubic stone of the masons, the cubic stone of alchemy which is what what transmutes lead into gold. And lastly, we have the sulfur, the fire. We have the mercury, the waters. We have azot, the divine mother, Aphrodite, Venus. We have sulfur, the fire, and we have salt, the earth, the stone, our physical body. And all of that brought into activity and working in unison in upright sexuality hermetically sealed to create to produce our inner hermaphrodite union of masculine and feminine divine masculine and feminine the union of innermost being with our divine mother to give rise to the innermost intimate christ the divine androgen the hermaphrodite. This is how we become a mutant. But again, that process can only take place if Mercury can bring with him the knowledge to Aphrodite. And what knowledge does he need to bring with him? The knowledge of our salt and the knowledge of our sulfur. In other words, we have to know ourselves. We have to have, we have to comprehend our lunar nature. We have to comprehend our egos. Because Mercury Yes, he's the messenger of the gods, but that that goes both ways. So, we began with the transformation of impressions. The transformation of impressions and processing our experiences consciously means that we have the material, the source material, that we then use in another practice meditation, retrospection meditation. And we retrospect and we meditate on the events of the day. We meditate on those dramatic moments, those dramatic circumstances, and those exchanges that we had that were emotional or that stirred up negative emotions or caused friction or resistance. And We meditate on what egos were involved. What was it? What what defects and vices were being triggered inside of us? And what were they doing to us? And what were they getting us to do to others? How were they causing us suffering? And how are they causing suffering to others? And we meditate on those defects and vices. We meditate on those egos. And with great patience and without any expectation, We receive the information, we receive the comprehension of those egos. So, as a result of that, our Mercury can send that information to our innermost being. Because that is the connection, Mercury is the connection between us, our experience, and our innermost being. Yes, it's consciousness but there's actual it's it's mercury is mercury and the the characteristic of mercury on the metaphysical level is that he is the messenger of the gods so mercury sends the transformed experience that we are meditating on to the innermost being, and the innermost being, we allow the innermost being to work out and return with an answer. That's Mercury. That is Mercury. That that enables that exchange of information, where we then receive the insight, the comprehension, pow, and all of a sudden we we. We, we just know, we know something more about ourselves. That knowledge, that knowing, Mercury brings with him in sexual union to Aphrodite. And when he shows the Divine Mother, Azoth, that fire, what it is that needs to be incinerated, She can do it. She has the power. That's the power of Divine Mother Kundalini. She has the power to dissolve and eliminate and destroy any ego that we have comprehended. And in the crucible, in the fires, in the the alchemical fires, those egos are eliminated, and the consciousness is released, is liberated, that was bottled up inside of them. That consciousness, that mercury, which those egos had at one time consumed. Remember, we said about being hermetically sealed, and if you're not hermetically sealed, that your mercury is flowing out and it's being, it's flowing through egos and it's creating more egos. That means that mercury. Is being used to create more egos when you disintegrate those egos when you comprehend and disintegrate those egos that mercury is now released and can return back you can call it consciousness that was bottled up inside those egos but but alchemically speaking it's mercury because consciousness is our connection to our innermost being so these things are all related right there's they're not they're not one-to-one equated to one another because that's not exactly how things work, but they're related. These elements, the salt, sulfur, mercury, azot, are clearly related to when we talk about tree of life and we talk about these other elements, we have mental body, astral body, causal body, Buddhic body, right? These bodies are made up of these elements, right? Because something needs to be made of something. So these elements are qualities. They're metaphysical vibratory qualities. Remember, we recently talked about sound. So really, these elements are really just different notes or octaves of notes that are playing together in harmony to have effects. And those effects are metaphysical and physical. Let's pause for a moment, just for a moment, because uh, for starters, we didn't share the, uh, the link to join in on the, uh, the live stream. So there's a link to join in on the live stream. And uh, also we have uh, some comments. Uh, Benjamin said, sadly, that's the normal value nowadays. We become morally bankrupt. This is true. FX said, uh, greetings, Attila. Um, Hello, was, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Benjamin said, "Thank you for explaining earlier that egos have sex with each other." I read some Gnostic text using the same language. Now I know what they mean. They actually have sex with us. Yes, they have sex with each other. That's true, but they they prefer to have sex with us. Egos fornicate with us. That's the that's the thing. Egos are demons. And when we think that what we're doing is indulging our lust, what's actually happening is lust is indulging itself at our expense. And uh, as disturbing as that might be visually, uh, if you watch anime... For example, you know that there's a particular type of anime where the trope in that type of anime is demons who like to fornicate, especially with with young uh, uh, with with schoolgirls, high school girls. Well as twisted that might be as a form of entertainment, it provides a very useful visual to comprehend and understand what's happening when we fornicate, when we indulge our lust, when we indulge an orgasm, what's actually taking place is that a demon is fornicating with us, without our knowledge and without our consent. Now, with our consent, insofar as we are engaged in an act which mirrors direct or which mirrors more or less what that demon is doing to us in that moment, but we're not aware of that, right? We're being distracted by our lust, and we're being distracted by the act that our lust is getting us to do. That we believe we are the ones who are satisfying ourselves, but that's that's not the case. That's not true. We are we are being used and abused in that moment. That's um, in addition to that. Our lust is often in cahoots with the lust of our partner. And this we can experience and that uh, fire, right? Those sparks, they often fly whether we're in the bedroom or we're in the, or we're in the kitchen because that sexual chemistry, that alchemical union, that magic that we have with our sexual partner, that energy wants to flow. And that energy will will find a way to flow and the egos, the demons will find a way to harness and make use of that energy. And, and that's why couples very often uh, argue and fight. the way they do. Because really, that's just the sexual energy that's flowing through their emotional and mental center. When they're having sex, they're having sex, it's flowing that way, but it's flowing down and out. If they're not practicing white Tantra, it's flowing down and out. So if it flows down and out in the bedroom, you can be damn sure it's gonna be flowing down and out in the kitchen. And Incidentally, that's why so many couples who do fight a lot, they claim to have really good sex and they like to have makeup sex and they like to have sex right after they have an argument or they start, they start out having an argument and they end up having sex because the two things are intimately, intimately related. The sexual energy is flowing. The egos don't care. Either way, the egos don't care how they get it. They're going to get it. As long as they keep you identified in fear and anger and rage and in envy and or lust they don't care because they can get the energy any which way and they will work with lust to get it through any of those centers and when lust is behind and that's the funny thing that's why uh, married couples or uh, or partners can can fight about the the most ridiculous things. They can get into rip-roaring arguments and fights over the most inconsequential things. And that's how you know that what's happening is lust is screwing with the couple just through their mental center. Because it's not actually you you can't pin it on any actual ego related to the mental center like you there's no there's no rational logical justification for the couple getting into a rip roaring screaming match over you know i don't know the toilet seat put being put up or down for example right toilet seat up toilet seat down and a couple will end up Tearing each other's heads off over this thing. And it's such a trivial, inconsequential thing. It's laughable. It's a joke. But when lust wants to screw with you, and lust wants to satisfy itself, it will find the most menial, inconsequential, trivial thing, and you'll end up in this... Balls to the wall, rip, roaring, tear each other's hair out. Fight. That's lust. that's your that's your sexual chemistry with your partner, just wanting to fornicate with you all the time, all the time. Benjamin says we get hypnotized by our egos so easily unless we become strong in the spirit. Ah, uh, yeah, well, just just be awake. Just be present. Just be aware. And, uh, and yeah, strong in spirit, you want to call, you know, but just have some willpower and be able to transform the impressions because we can't always be, you know, strong in spirit. And that's a, that's a statement that, that that's a statement that can scare individuals who are just starting out on the path, or they don't know what that means. Or they're humble or they're they're they feel weak or humble or overwhelmed. So sure, obviously, if we're strong in spirit, it's going to be more difficult for the egos to hypnotize us. But if we're not there yet, if we're just starting out on the path, or we're just, you know, we're at whatever level we're at, sometimes it's enough to say, um, I'm just, I'm just watching myself, I'm observing myself. And I'm I can observe my ego's trying to hypnotize me. And then later on in meditation I'm going to meditate on that. How are they trying to hypnotize me? What were their what were their their tricks and their tactics? What was their modus operandi? How are they hypnotizing me? And then I will I will work with my mercury. I will work with my innermost being and I will allow mercury to do his work and be the messenger. By the way, what just comes into my mind is uh, Mercury to the Nordics was a squirrel. His name was Ratatosker, and uh, if you've read our poem Ratatosker and the Seed, you know that uh, Mercury uh, Mercury Hermes Ratatosker features prominently in our, uh, in our poem. Um, there's the link if you haven't read it, but that, uh, that poem is, it's really a, uh, uh, an autobiographical, uh, expression and it's, it's that experience of of working with mercury working with our ratatosker and 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 really if you know squirrels if you if you have squirrels around where you live we certainly do uh and you know the way they behave you 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 get a sense of what your mercury is and the mercury that we have to work with now we promised you also uh, that we would give you the link to the alchemy course. Uh, There it is there. And uh, there is the link in the chat and it's on the screen. Now, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, six lectures. And you will see that they cover the elements and they cover transmutation, but then they also have specifically, um, they have a uh, lecture on azoth and they have one on on Mercury, Hermes, what we've been speaking about. Um, We don't have the knowledge, uh, especially of ancient Hebrew and so on, as the Gnostic instructors do. So we can't do justice... To this topic at the same level that they can and that they do. And we encourage you to dive deeper into your studies and get a, a, a deeper, more more comprehensive appreciation for uh, this topic of transmutation and alchemy. But we wanted to uh, at least give you a primer, and give you a background as to why it is and what it is that we're doing on the path that transmutation and alchemy is the path itself and how uh, all of the different practices that we've discussed up to this point everything from transformation of impressions to meditation to pranayama to uh, uh, runes and prayer, and mantra, how all of these are working with these elements, and working with our Mercury for the transmutation of ourselves to create a mutant. And that mutant is one who has the potential to harness the power of their innermost intimate Christ. And develop powers associated with that, but most importantly, to be a worthy vessel, a clean vessel, a purified vessel, a purified vehicle for that Christ to come into the world and and do its works for the sake of suffering humanity. And that this is what alchemy really means, and what alchemy is really all about. It's it's not about, you know, fusing metals, and it's not about doing black magic, and it's not about all these other things that people have, have uh, believe or claim about it. And it's also not possible... You cannot accomplish alchemy unless you work with the elements. Your salt, your sulfur, your mercury, and your azot. Your fire, your wind, your water, your earth, and your akash, your ether. Your fifth element. Alchemy, sexual alchemy, including sexual alchemy. These are, this is a scientific process. And yes, you have to work consciously as much as possible, 24 hours a day if you can, with the transformation of impressions, because the transformation of life, the transformation of yourself, transmutation is an ongoing process and if what you are transmuting is your being then you have to transmute being and being is experience does anybody have any uh, questions we're going to this is going to be a shorter one certainly shorter than the last two can does anybody have any questions at this time If you uh, were late joining us at the beginning, we had mentioned that um, we are going to have to make some changes to our uh, schedule, that uh, we can't keep doing this three live streams a week. Um, it's it's We're experiencing quite a bit of burnout. Um, it's too much work. It takes too much time, it's too much work for us to try to prepare two lectures and then again do a summary lecture on Mondays. Um, Our book is suffering. We're not, even when we find the time to actually work on the book, we we lack the energy, we're burnt out because we spent so much time and energy and effort preparing for the live streams or doing the live streams. And then we have all the social media that we have to do because we have to get that following up um, in order for for the book to be considered for publication. But the book itself is suffering as a result. And um, we can't, something something has to give. We have to make make a concession somewhere. And the compromise that I think we're going to do is we're going to move the live streams to one a week on Sunday afternoons or Saturday afternoons at probably two o'clock. But Sunday afternoons probably better two o'clock, which would be seven o'clock for Europeans. And that way we can just do one live stream a week. And then we can cover this issue about North America and Europe and, and, you know, and then we can, and then hopefully, we can have more people, right. Um, because right now we're only averaging, like even tonight where it's only, it's only six, about six or seven people have been tuning in. Um, some people come and go, that's true. But, um, so we're going to have to, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to make some concession, make some change because, um, we, we cannot allow, uh, this book, uh, project to fall by the wayside, we have to this has to be our our focus. But we also have to focus on making sure that like writing the book is one thing, but we have to make sure that it that it can be published. And that means doing the social media stuff and getting our our social media uh, presence up. So um, that means probably working on on more YouTube videos, but shorter versions of you know, shorter, more concise, more condensed versions of videos that we can release that maybe um, we can uh, in, increase our following that way on YouTube and uh, and on social media. Because the videos seem to get a lot more traction on social media than just the memes. We get lots of likes with the memes, but not a lot of shares, not a lot of engagement. So, in any case, we just wanted to mention that to you and share that with you because um, we can't keep this we can't keep this schedule up with everything that we're trying to get done and we we are on a deadline to have this 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 current project done and uh and we it's just not sustainable the way it is currently so just thought we'd mention that to you so there will be some coming changes and we'll and we will um we will make a proper announcement on that and we may even cancel Fridays uh lecture and just start move it to Sunday beginning this Sunday so just to let you know that uh, that that's coming coming up. But uh, if you've been following us on Facebook or on uh, on YouTube, then we'll we'll make the appropriate announcements uh, when the time comes. So Benjamin says, conserve your energy. Uh, yes, which we need to we need to refocus and recalibrate and and just redistribute. So we know. But listen, live and learn. Right? We only we can only. We only begin to recognize what our limitations are. You know, you only really know how much energy this stuff takes once you do it. Like you have no idea how time-consuming and how 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 energy taxing this type of work is. Working with your Mercury, uh, it's it's draining. It's 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 difficult work. It's it's real work. When they talk about spiritual work being the work it's real work guaranteed it is as much if not more work than any other work you can imagine it is not I, I and that's why we say like we 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 tried we began modeling ourselves after some of these other youtubers that do all of these You, they have all of these live streams they're doing like four or five and six hours a day and I'm, it's like there's no way we can we can compete with that because, they're just talking off the top of their head. They're just talking out of their ego. Everything we need, everything we do, needs to come from the being. We're, we're being conscious and awake for everything that we do, including these live streams. So it's a completely different can of, can of worms. We're talking about apples and oranges here. So... Um, but we had to learn that the hard way, right? By actually coming to this realization, this conclusion for ourselves. Uh, so, so yes, yeah, so those changes will be coming. But if there's uh, no more, if there are no more questions tonight, we will get into the other aspect of alchemy um, on, uh, on Sunday, I guess. So thank you all for uh, joining us. If there are no more questions, then we'll bid you a good night. And uh, and have a good rest of the week, and inverential peace.